0: assassins to another episode of the Dark Assassins podcast, the show that dives deep into not just technology, but the concepts, software, and procedures behind it all, and explains it so simply that even your grandma can understand it. As always, I'm your host, the Dark Assassin. Before we get into this episode, I just want to wish everyone who is celebrating a very happy Easter. I know this is technically coming out on Saturday, and Easter is on Sunday, Um, and Easter is only one day, so if you're listening some other time during the week, it is not Easter, but regardless, happy Easter to everyone. And because it's around the Easter time, that means we are into the springtime, which means everybody's favorite green dust-like thing is floating around everywhere outside that of course being pollen Now I've talked about in the past how looks 100% totally affect how something performs and 100% seriousness obviously not making any jokes whatsoever because when it comes to performance looks mean everything as we discussed There's a reason the Lambo beats the Prius. Now, with that said, uh, because it is springtime, um, my car is in a perpetual state of covered in pollen, which it's it's a bummer, right? Because as we discussed with the whole performance thing, I mean, it's basically a permanent 10% performance hit right there, which is uh, not fun. Now, I hear you saying just clean it, right? And like, I do clean it, but with how much pollen there is, and the fact that I unfortunately do not have the luxury at the moment to have a garage, so uh, all that glorious plant reproductive material um, bombards my car 24-7. Um, so I've had it it depends, right? So sometimes I'll clean my car and it'll be nice for a day. And then after a day, I, there's a nice thin layer of pollen and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then it's back to where it was in less than a week. I've also had it where I washed the car, got it all shiny and clean. And I kid you not, In less time than it took me to clean it, it was already back to being a complete disaster uh, because it decided to rain when it wasn't supposed to, and it didn't rain hard. So it got that super disgusting—it actually looked worse after I cleaned it because it rained—it was that rain where it's not hard, but it's enough— to like make little pool puddles of water all over the car like all the water spots so all the pollen would kind of like form in those circles so there were these green pollen circles all over the car it looked disgusting and it it literally the all my hard work was just gone Uh, in a matter of i kid you not in a matter of minutes um so that was definitely not fun Um, But yeah, we're back into that time, so it's uh, joy oh joy But speaking of joys, let's get into this week's fun, starting off with the trivia question. So this week's trivia question is, the Intel 4004 was the first commercially produced microprocessor developed by Intel, obviously. What year was that microprocessor released so what year was the intel 4004 microprocessor released so that is your trivia question for the week now also this week i had a thought come to me so we talked a while ago about the whole ai arms race that's going on And how tools like ChatGPT and other language models, people are supposedly and and trying to use them to, you know, write their essays for them, right? And then we also talked about how educators and grad students or whoever are trying to make AI tools to detect if you used AI tools when you wrote your essay and we mentioned how each side is just going to, you know, make their tool better and better and it's just going to become this massive arms race. Now, I had a thought here. And my thought was what happened what would happen if you tried to implement some countermeasures to obfuscate the fact that you used AI to write your essay. Now, obviously, I don't recommend anyone write their essays using artificial intelligence, but I think it would be an interesting research field or research topic for someone to do where they could have, you know, a tool like ChatGPT auto generate, you know some number of essays and then run them through their you know tool that can detect if you used AI or not and see how many it gets right and then deploy some countermeasures to the AI generated essays and see how that affects the uh, uh, the detection rate. So specifically the ideas that I had for potential countermeasures is one thing that, Now, again, first off, I'm going to say that I do not condone cheating at all, but the first rule of cheating, if you are going to cheat, which again, I don't recommend, is you don't copy verbatim what someone else wrote, because first off, that's plagiarism, and second off, it's just lazy. So if you were to have, say, ChatGPT write your essay for you, what would... say this tool that can detect if you used AI had a 60% detection rate, let's say. Uh, What would happen if you took that essay that ChatGPT gave you and you threw it through some kind of like online paraphrasing tool or you gave it back to ChatGPT as input and say, paraphrase this or reword this, like, I, I'm wondering how, like, multiple layers of, like, versioning could throw off the, uh, uh, the you know, the detection tools. And what I also find, would find interesting is if you took—say you took, you know, as a control— you took actually actual essays written by real people, see what the te- detection rate for them is, and then you th- run their essays through these online paraphrasing tools or even give it to ChatGPT as input, have it reword it, and then feed it back in and see what that would give you. So I'd be really interested to see um, if you tried to use countermeasures to obfuscate the fact that you used you know, these language models, because supposedly the way that, you know, these detection tools are supposed to, you know, tell if you use, you know, AI tools is if they they are able to identify the patterns, I guess, that AI language models typically use when they write their essay, write, I guess, quote unquote, write their essays, um, and how it's different from, Humans and how humans write essays. So I would be interested to know if you threw, you know, the essays from ChatGPT through some kind of paraphraser to like change the wording around but keep the the message. How that would impact um, these detection tools, and if that would change, you know, the likelihood of one of those tools detecting that it was written by AI. Um, So I think that would be kind of interesting. Um, So if there's anyone out there in the machine learning field that wants a research project, you're welcome. But speaking of countermeasures, that is a great segue into this week's cybersecurity tip. (laughs) week's cybersecurity tip, we're finally getting to that one that I had talked about for the past two weeks, but never got around to doing because I had other ones. So this week's cybersecurity tip is before you go selling a device, whether that's a laptop, desktop, phone, tablet, whatever, uh, make sure that you wipe all your data off of them. Like, I know this should go without saying, but you'd be surprised how many times you'll buy something secondhand, like eBay or Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or wherever you buy secondhand stuff, and there's tons of personal data on those devices. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, would buy, I've, I've bought laptops before that weren't wiped at all and had tons of people's personal data. Now, as fun it is, as fun as it is for someone like me to go spelunking through a used hard drive, you know, that I got online, um, someone with more malicious intent than I, uh, would find that as a gold mine. Now, for me, it's just kind of fun to go through, see what I can find, see if there's anything interesting on there. Um, but, you know, someone malicious, if they get their hands on it, uh, there can be a lot of stuff that could go on. Since specifically for me, I have come across all kinds of things. I've come across things like people's driver's licenses. Passports, checks, social security numbers, you know, the whole nine yards. I've pretty much, I pretty much would have had enough information to easily steal the person's identity. Obviously, I didn't do that because I don't have malicious intent and I'm not about to break any laws, but it's just kind of interesting that, you know, someone would literally be selling their laptop with all that personal information still on the device because they sold it to someone who who they have no idea who it is. So if that got into the wrong hands, their identity is just toast. So yeah, uh, make sure that if you're ever selling anything, make sure you wipe the drive because not everyone is as courteous Um, to finding personal data on a device like me. Um, Others have more malicious intent. Um, Now, the way you could go about wiping it, I think we talked about this um, when we mentioned just because you delete a file doesn't mean it's actually gone. Um, So there's ways that you can go about making sure that your your hard drive is wiped. But at the very, very, very least, at least throw a clean install of an OS on there. If you're not going to like actually go through the whole go through the process of fully wiping the drive which you should do, at the very least f- do a fresh install of an operating system, so if someone were wanted to try to get to your personal data, they would really 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 have to work for it. Um and because your average joe um, if they get a computer that already has that already has an OS and someone's stuff on it, um, they might be a lot more likely to snoop than if it was you know a fresh install. Um, but yeah, regardless, make sure your devices are wiped before you sell them, please. <laughs> um, as fun as it is, like I said, to go spelunking through, you know, stuff you you find on a device you just bought, uh for your, your own cybersecurity sake, uh, don't allow people that, that fun. Because like I mentioned, uh, not all people that buy used devices are as courteous. So that is your cybersecurity tip for the week. Now, before we get into the real fun stuff, I wanted to hit up a couple quick news bites um, this week that kind of popped up so one of the big ones as far as software development is concerned uh, twitter open sourced their recommendation algorithm at least part of it anyway Um, and basically basically the algorithm that shows like what tweets will show up in your feed um, they posted that on github so i'll have a link to that in the show notes if you care to look at it Um, and the other big story that's been kind of making the rounds on the interwebs, uh, at least here in the United States, is uh, the Restrict Act, aka the Ban TikTok Act, Act as it has, I guess, been known. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into this because we have more fun things to talk about. But basically, as a as an overview, it's a it's a bipartisan bipartisan supported bill um and it's been receiving some backlash um i guess that's a nice way of putting it um from some on the online community um they're saying that it's quote worse than the patriot act and it is the patriot act 2.0 um now if you now, i actually decided to take a look at this bill that was probably a mistake because it was uh 55 pages of uh just gibberish in some cases like it's technically english but like nobody talks like that which i guess that's you know try to make it as confusing as possible but the interesting thing about it is it's has this reputation of the of the ban TikTok bill but if you actually read the bill it makes absolutely zero mention of TikTok or ByteDance, which if you're unfamiliar, ByteDance is the company that owns TikTok. It makes zero mention of either of those. So to me, it's kind of strange that you have this bill that you claim is the sole purpose and only purpose is to ban TikTok, yet you don't even mention it in the bill. Now, if, if, if to me... You might, I mean, you might think that that makes no sense, and the logical thing to do would be to explicitly say that this app is banned if that is indeed the point of the bill. And I'm not a politician or a lawyer or anything, so I'm I'm not not sure. And obviously, I'm not in my non enlightened plebeian brain. Um, would say if i was trying to write a bill to ban tiktok i would just say you know the app known as tiktok is banned and then you know maybe like honestly i it, i think a couple pages tops would probably be enough to write what a, a bill to ban the app right like, maybe you have some filler at the front, you know, your standard stuff, and then like some penalties or whatever. But I think anything more than like five pages would be like five pages would probably be pushing it, but anything less than that would probably be about right. So 55 pages seems a tad excessive, but then again, we have to keep in mind who we're dealing with here. So since we're dealing with the government, if something were to make sound logical sense, um, that obviously isn't going to fly. So the fact that this bill goes completely against all logical sense actually makes complete sense. So what does this bill actually say if it doesn't explicitly say that it's going to ban TikTok? Well, um... First off, I hope you have your laundry baskets ready because we have quite the laundry list of things that it suppose that it will restrict slash ban. So here we go: wireless local area networks, mobile networks, satellite payloads, satellite operations and control, cable access points, wireless access points, core networking systems, long, short, and backhaul networks edge computer platforms, internet hosting services, cloud-based or distribution, distributed computing and data storage machine learning, predictive analysis, and data science products and services, including those involving the provision of services to assist the party to utilize, manage, or maintain open source software, managed services and content delivery services, Desktop desktop applications, mobile applications, gaming applications, payment applications, web applications, AI machine learning, quantum key distribution, quantum communication, quantum computing, post-quantum cryptography, autonomous systems, advanced robots, biotechnology, synthetic biology, computational biology, and e-commerce technology and services, including any electronic techniques for accomplishing business transactions, online retail, internet-enabled logistics, internet-enabled payment technologies, and online marketplaces. And these are just some of the examples that the bill has that are explicitly listed in the included Uh, section so for example um, they have a much more broad topic um, such as software hardware and any other product or service integral to telecommunications products and services including and then it would go through some of those items i just listed in the laundry list so obviously that is technically not even an inclusive list and uh, that was quite the bit of rambling just to get through it so um Yeah, uh, the supposed ban TikTok bill um, definitely does a lot of, bans a lot of stuff uh, that is not TikTok. Now, this, this, these, I guess, technologies and applications and all that stuff uh, applies to any foreign adversary of the United States, which includes China, Iran, North Korea, Russia, and Venezuela, plus any other entity um, oh, and by the way, when, when we're saying entity, that does not have to be a state actor. It could also include U.S. companies. But any entity deemed by the secretary as a threat to the United States, which includes things like sabotage or subversion, processing, manage managing to operate or uh, operating of information and communications technologies um, and services in the United States... Uh, catastrophic effects on critical infrastructure or the digital economy, interfering with elections or participating in activities designed to undermine democratic processes and institutions, um, or otherwise pose unacceptable risk to to the national security of the United States. So basically, if we take specifically that last part, that seems pretty broad to me, Um, poses unacceptable risk to the national security of the United States. Um, And that is, I guess, deemed by the secretary. So the secretary, I I believe it's the secretary of commerce. Um, Basically, if they deem any organization an unacceptable risk to national security, their applications or hardware can be banned. According to this bill, at least that's my interpretation anyway. Um, So, yeah, this is there's obviously a lot more (laughs) than just banning TikTok, and this is just scratching the surface of what this bill uh, will do if it's passed into law. Um, So, now I guess we should (laughs) talk quickly about the repercussions of if you um, break this law. So If you violate said law, you could be looking up to $1 million in fines and up to 20 years in prison. So basically, if you use any kind of VPN, Tor, or proxy to get around the IP-based restrictions for these apps, products, services, whatever, you could be facing up to $1 million in fines and 20 years in prison. So... Uh, oh, Actually, one thing I do need to note, though, is some people have been saying that this bill will ban VPNs. It does not ban VPNs. All it's doing is it makes it illegal for you to use a VPN to access a service that is banned by the bill. So it doesn't explicitly ban VPNs. So if you are at you know a coffee shop or a hotel, and you VPN back to your house, assuming you're still in the U.S. I guess um, that's not that wouldn't violate this law, assuming it gets passed. Now, if you were to use some VPN service and you were say you use TikTok because that's supposedly what this bill's about, even though as we kind of discussed, it's really not. Um, and you used a VPN to, say, make it look like you're in Germany, then that would be technically breaking the law according to this bill. At least that's my interpretation. I'm not a lawyer. Um, Now, I've been pretty critical of this bill here. But for all the zoomers and young millennials out there that use TikTok, I want you to know that don't get it, don't get it twisted, I am not rooting for you. I do not like TikTok whatsoever. Uh, which because for anyone out there that's addicted to these this Chinese spyware known as TikTok, which by the way that's not me being hyperbolic, Uh, United States and other countries' intelligence agencies have essentially said the same thing about the app. Um, I'm not rooting for you to have this bill not be passed so you can keep using TikTok. I am on your side because, as we have kind of discussed talking about this bill, um, it's very, very broad. And in my opinion, it is a... Definite, it, it's a very good example of a massive government overreach and straight up power grab. At least that's my interpretation. But I encourage all of you to go read the 55 pages and come to your own conclusions. But with that uh, depressingness out of the way, let's get into the fun stuff with what nerdy stuff have I been up to this week? So, this week I have been dealing with a conundrum. Do I upgrade to more modern hardware in my home lab to cut my power bill, or do I just suck it up and pay the higher power bill? Because if you think about it, it's a lot cheaper to pay, you know, an extra, I don't know, five, ten bucks a month in the power bill rather than going out and spending hundreds or even more dollars on new hardware. <laughs> um, so I did I did some rough, you know, napkin math, essentially, to try to figure out, you know, what how much of my power bill is going towards my home lab. And it, depending on the month and what I'm running at the time, I think it's in the neighborhood of like 40 to 55 bucks of my power bill is going to my data center, which also depending on the month can range anywhere between as little as around a quarter or as close to just under half of my electric bill every month. So now I guess one thing I also have to say here is depending on who you are, some of you might be thinking that you wish your home lab only cost you that much. And other people are thinking like, man, you really are running a data center at your house, aren't you? Um, so depending on, you know, which camp you fall in, because I've seen some people like they one of the most extreme cases I saw was someone, their server run it, every, everything in their their home lab slash rack running was like pulling, I don't remember the exact number. It was like 2.34 kilowatts or something like that, which that is insane. (laughs) I think my estimate was my core home lab uses anywhere between like four and 500 watts at a given time, like just idling. But this this rack was, you you know... (laughs) way more than that. Um, But then you also have, you know, the other people that are, you know, they're running a few servers and their total power draw is like less than 100 watts or something insane like that. Um, Now, obviously, I'm using old Enterprise gear, which is not exactly known for its power efficiency. Um, So that obviously plays a role in it. Um, But on the flip side, with how much stuff I run, because if I want to run all my VM, I think I have set up over 20 VMs running, and I think currently right now, um, I recently shut off one of my one of my servers because it's starting to get warmer and I'm trying to reduce the heat output. <laughs> Uh, especially because my my server rack is upstairs where it's hotter in general so trying to reduce the uh the temperature of the oven upstairs as much as i can and that server generally doesn't have anything like critical on there it just has uh virtual machines that are i guess you could say nice to haves like i don't need them on a daily basis um but the the core VMs that I run, I probably have like uh, we're somewhere in the upper teens of VMs. So uh, definitely it would uh, trying to say run all that in the cloud um, especially with the hardware requirements some of these VMs have like as far as RAM and CPU processing goes. Yeah, it's definitely a heck of a lot cheaper um, hosting it myself than in the cloud. So uh, that there there's that. Um, now, speaking of VMs and such, uh, one of the other things that I that I actually did this week, was I created templates for both Ubuntu and Arch-based servers. Now, if you'll recall a few... I don't remember how long ago it was. It was when I did that uh, episode about the, the Red Hat, basically infinite money glitch with Red Hat on how you can essentially get infinite instances of Red Hat for free. Um, so I mentioned I cr- basically created a, a template for it. Um, and I basically did the same thing uh, for Ubuntu and Arch as well. So but I one thing I did change with the the uh, Red Hat uh, template through this also was rather than just having it as a template, I kept the, uh, the Ubuntu Arch and now Red Hat also. Um, I just kept them as running virtual machines with like basically no, no resources at all. So they just essentially just sit there idling doing nothing. Um, and the reason for this was because if you make a template like especially talking about Proxmox here, if you make a template, you can't like update it anymore. so it's whenever when you create that template, it's stuck at whatever you know point in time you created it, which in some senses is nice, but for, distros like arch for example that are constant that are rolling releases and constantly updating uh, once you use that template and running updates on it they're going to take a while so my thought process was i'll just create you know three vms here with each one of these um, instances or each one of these distros and then essentially just let them do nothing and then include them in my updates my ansible update script update playbook so they'll just always be updated so then when i want to you know create a new vm with red hat or ubuntu or arch or whatever i can just shut down that vm clone it and then i have a fully up to date virtual machine ready to go and as you can guess if you haven't already I also created additional Ansible playbooks so I can essentially initialize the, the VMs to be what I want. So like I mentioned, with the Red Hat one, I created a playbook to essentially change the host name, create a user, reset the SSH keys, set the IP address, all that good stuff. I basically took the, that playbook and made one for Arch and uh, Ubuntu also. So that was a lot of fun. Um, so that was definitely a good project, I thought. And then, so also going back to last week's episode, do you guys remember when I talked about the SSDs that I bought and how I said my, my one server, it didn't work because I needed a new cable? Yeah, I kind of lied that, that I, I didn't just need a new cable. Um, so for whatever reason, the, the motherboard in this server is an Intel motherboard. And in Intel's infinite wisdom, when they created this motherboard, you needed a dedicated hardware key to plug into the motherboard in order to enable the extra SATA ports on the front. Or if you wanted them to be SAS capable, you would need a different key. But that key doesn't come standard; you have to buy that separately. Gotta love the world of enterprise. Now, in hindsight, the cheaper solution would have been for me to just take the drives out, the SS, take the SSDs out, and swap them in the position where the hard drives were and then just restore the VMs from a backup. That would have been the cheaper solution. But obviously I didn't do that. Um, I, so I I bought I actually, you know, bought the key. I think it was like it was pretty cheap. It was like I think 13 bucks or something like that. So that came in this week. I installed that and then sure enough, as soon as I installed that, all the the disks showed up perfectly fine as they were supposed to, got them formatted, got my VMs copied over to them, and everything's working fantastically. Now, the reason why I say um, I didn't want to do the other solution, even though it would have been cheaper, is because one of the goals that I was kind of thinking about doing with these rather than just letting these hard drives Just kind of go to waste and whatnot. I figured one thing I could do is do more More frequent backups. So currently as it stands right now, aside from a few edge cases that I back up more frequently I back up my VMs once a month to my NAS so I figured what I could do is since I have this local storage on the uh my hypervisors now, I can do more frequent backups just locally on the device just in the on the hard drive pool that already exists. So that's one thing that I was kind of thinking of doing. Um, so I haven't started it yet, uh, but it's something that i've I've thought about doing. so, so we'll see how that works. Now, for the other bit of nerdy things that I did, um, I don't want to brag or nothing, guys, but uh, I bought myself a Tesla this week. Well, I guess I bought it a couple weeks ago, but it it arrived, so uh, I got a Tesla now, so not to brag or anything, but one thing I do want to do with you guys is play a little bit of game, a, a little mini trivia question for you. Uh, I bet you can't guess which Tesla I bought, and I'll give you a hint that it is not the Model 3 and not the Model Y. So I'll give you a, a little bit to think about that. So if you're thinking that because the Tesla that I bought is not a Model 3 and not a Model Y, so you're thinking it's Model S, congratulations, you're wrong. Um, I The Tesla that I actually got was a P4. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself right now, or you might be thinking to yourself right now, wait a second, what the heck is a Tesla P4? Tesla doesn't make a car called the P4. And you're correct, they don't make a car called the P4, because the Tesla that I bought is not a Tesla in the sense that it's Tesla, the Elon Tesla, it's Tesla as in the NVIDIA graphics card line for the Enterprise. So, yeah, I bought a uh, Enterprise graphics card, um, and those are called Tesla cards. Um, now, going through the specs real quick, because we always got to go through the specs. It has a max TDP of 75 watts, and it's a single-slot, low-profile Pascal GPU on TMC's 16-nanometer process with a it's a PC on a PCIe three by sixteen interface with two thousand five hundred and sixty CUDA cores, running at a base clock of eight hundred eighty six megahertz with a boost clock of one thousand one hundred fourteen megahertz with seven point two billion transistors, eight gigs of, DD, of GDDR5 VRAM. Although it's not actually eight gigs, it's more. It's actually seven point eight six. Because someone at Nvidia done goofed on that one, um, so you got that. You got you got all those specs. Everything makes sense. Well, if somehow you actually did manage to get um, get everything, um, I'm gonna just run through real quick um, what everyone else heard. Um, so it has a max. Tuscan disconnect potential of 75 whisker misers, and it is a single slot low profile peptide GPU on Tiramisu's 16 nibble micron process on an LMNOP interface with 256 catalytic Coronados running at a base clock of 886 diddly bops per gigasquat with a boost clock. Of 1,114 diddly bops per gigasquat with 7.2 billion teraboops and 8 gigabaps per of derby vipers. Make sense? Cool, glad we're all on the same page. So, what I did was I installed this Tesla GPU into my R620 and configured Proxmox uh, to pass the GPU. Through to a virtual machine, um, so I could play with my new toy that I bought. Now, the of course, the VM that I decided to go with was a, a Red Hat instance from my uh, template. Um, so, <laughs> one thing that I, I will say when I create, when I for, first off, when I installed the Tesla GPU. It uh, significantly increased the the noise level of my R620. Now, one thing that I love, or I guess loved, (laughs) about my R620 was how quiet the thing was. It was basically inaudible at idle, which was fantastic compared to some of the other, well, basically every other enterprise server that I have, which is pretty loud. Um so it definitely increased the sound um output of the R620 which was definitely not nice and honestly it it kind of got close to it it was at the point where like it was arguably the loudest thing in the rack at times now granted the Xserve was not turned on, or it would have had something to say about it. But, uh, yeah. Um, So, you might be wondering why this is. Well, first off, it's not a Dell card, and because it's not a Dell card, it doesn't interact nice with the integrated iDRAC Dell hardware or whatever for fan control. So, that's part of the reason. The other reason is because this is a passively cooled enterprise card. So unlike your normal graphics card that has fans on it, this graphics card does not have any fans on it. It just has a heat sink. And that's not because this card is enterprise grade and therefore super efficient and better than all the other cards. It's just designed to be in a rack mounted server and having all that server airflow be pushed through it to cool it off. So that's another reason why it's significantly louder. (laughs) Um, Now one thing I will say though is even with the fans running faster and therefore louder and a gpu installed surprisingly the power draw actually didn't change too much i mean it obviously increased but it wasn't by that significant of a margin which was which was kind of nice now one thing i did do was i obviously wasn't about to listen to this thing be loud so I took the fan script that I had for my Dell R510 because the, the script also works on the 6, 620 and used that script, did some modifications to it and ran that. And when I ran that, I <laughs> slowly started to see the CPU and GPU temps creeping up and up and up and up. And which I mean, obviously makes sense because there's less airflow, and also if the CPU temps rising. Um, if you're not familiar with how the R six twenty is laid out, you have the very front, which is your drive bays, and then behind that you have your fans, and then behind that you have your CPU and memory, and then behind that you have your power supplies and your pci express cards so the pci express cards in this case the graphics card is all the way in the back behind the cpus so as the cpus get hotter and heat up heat up their heat sinks that hot air is in turn being blown over the gpu as well and obviously the gpu is getting hotter because it has less you know airflow going over it so it just makes sense that it also got hotter um, but it was, you know, acceptable enough. It's not like it was at the point where it would, like, be throttling or anything, and then another thing I also did was I wrote a second C- or a second fan script, which I took the same script and threw it into the VM, um, where the GPU is, and to basically control it, control the fans for the GPU. And that actually worked pretty darn well. Um, so that was good because the last thing I wanted was to essentially have this GPU burn up because it didn't get the airflow it needed um, when I wanted to use it. Um, so so that was nice. And, and the other nice thing is too, is because, if I'm not running anything on the GPU, I don't have to worry as much about the temperatures on it. So, like, it can run a little bit hotter, and it's not that big of a deal since it's not doing anything. Um, so, so that's nice. So I get at least to keep my sanity a little bit um, because. But the other, I guess, uh, another thing that I've been kind of thinking about is. Part of me has been wondering if I actually want to keep this card in the server like long-term because, one, it, it does... Even with the fan script running to make it quieter, it's still louder than it was before. Um, but by no means is it the loudest thing anymore, and it's kind of fits in with the rest of the low-fan drone that goes on. Um, but I have thought about just removing it and only putting it in when I want to play with stuff. But because the the, the thing of it is, is I can't, like I, like I mentioned, it's upstairs where it's hot, and I don't exactly have a good place to put it where it's isolated. I don't, like, have the luxury of it, you know, being able to throw it in a basement or a closet with good ventilation or anything like that, um, and basically a place where I don't have to hear it. Um, so... I haven't fully decided on it. it it's definitely probably not going to get taken out anytime soon just because there's stuff that I want to play with um, GPU-wise. Um, so it's probably going to be in there for a while, but I don't know. Depending, depending on how hot it gets here in the summertime, um, we, uh, we might be taking it out because um, as, definitely as the warmer months come, um, my server rack... Um, is just going to turn the oven that is my upstairs even hotter. Um, so trying to reduce the amount of heat, my space heater of a data center is pumping out, uh, the more I can reduce that, the better. Now, I have ta- I talked about buying this enterprise-grade Tesla GPU, but what am I actually going to do with it, you might be asking yourself. So the first thing that I did with it once I got it all configured in Proxmox, passed through to the VPN or not VPN uh, VM, and got all the drivers and everything configured in there, the first thing I did was got the CUDA toolkit installed and did some CUDA programming, some, some just some basic GPU programming, which was which was pretty cool. I have some some other plans that I want to do. Uh, with some GPU programming. It's something that I've never really done before, partly because I've never really had the capability to do it. Uh, but the other thing that I did, which actually is what I was trying to do, try, well, trying, I had it working, but I was trying to get something else implemented, as we'll get into before this podcast, Um which actually I'm, I'm not recording on my usual Thursday. Uh, it's actually a pretty late Friday evening, actually, because I was trying to tinker with some stuff, um, which wasn't playing nice. But uh, the one thing I did was I installed my own instance of Stable Diffusion. So I believe I talked about this um, a while ago. Talked about Stable Diffusion, that is. Um, and... This was actually when I first realized that the R six twenty wasn't actually taking into account the temperature of my GPU um, when it was passed through to or at all um, in its fan control, which was when I eventually then figured out that I needed to write that second fan script to control it for the GPU, and. My assumption. I I have two guesses on why this is. The first one is that because it's not a Dell card, so it doesn't play nice with the inner the the Dell motherboard and iDRAC and all that stuff. The fan control. That's my that's one guess. The other guess is because I told Proxmox essentially to completely ignore this card, so it can just get passed through to the VM. Maybe that has something to do with it too. Also, I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, let me tell you, uh, when I am using, uh, stable diffusion and having it generate images, man, does that thing roar and it can move air. And I mean, move, it, it moves air. Like it's like you hear the, that whine of the fan speed, that really high pitched, 1U server fan whine and then you also just hear this You know, this just massive airflow going on um, Here's actually a, a, a clip of it of what it sounds like So yeah, pretty darn loud um, <laughs> Under a 100% load on the GPU during the training pro or during the uh the image generation process, my R six twenty was was able to keep it cool, so that was a good thing. Um, it I think the max temperature I saw in the GPU was seventy three or maybe seventy four degrees, something like that, and the fans were running at about seventy seven percent, which is roughly thirty thousand RPM. So yeah, them fans were were moving air. Um, And also, I noticed um, that my R620 was pulling a solid 266 watts at the time. Now, depending on who you are, that either might seem like a lot of power or really nothing at all. And the reason I say it might not seem like nothing, it might seem like nothing at all is because some some of the modern high-end CPUs and specifically GPUs on the market today can easily pull way more than that just by themselves. So the fact that I was, I guess, only, I say only, uh, pulling 266 watts potentially could be, I guess, maybe a good thing seeing that the GPU is being fully, fully utilized at 100% load. Um, and I also got to say, with how loud my r620 is when i'm using stable diffusion specifically and probably once i get more into the the cuda programming it might get loud too um but specifically with the stable diffusion stuff i don't know my x might have to watch its back it, you know it, it got pretty comfortable being the you know the loudest server in the house once those big industrial fans left my main floor but i don't know <laughs> R six twenty is gonna be uh, giving it a run for its money um, if I actually do stuff on the GPU. Which, in fairness to the Xserve, the the ninety nine percent of the time thing, like when I am not using the GPU, the Xserve beats it handily. You know, beats the R six twenty every day of the week. It's just in those niche cases where I actually feel like using the GPU and start pumping out, you know, images. Uh, with stable diffusion, which the nice thing about this, I have to say, is the fact that it's self-hosted, so I don't have to worry about my search queries and data being sent to some who-knows-who to harvest and whatnot. So that is very nice. And just some quick stats uh, real quick is the the Tesla P4, the card that I have, um, I was noticing it was able to generate About ten images in like two and a half minutes, so not too bad. Obviously, if you had a a more modern GPU or a more powerful GPU that was able to draw more than seventy five watts, you'd obviously be able to crank out more images in less time. So yeah, I mean that just comes with the territory. Um, So if you had like a consumer GPU. Um, you'd definitely probably be able to get better performance um, especially if it was you know modern um, and and as far as the image generation goes it's been interesting <laughs> um, there have definitely been some that were pretty decent and there were others that were so bad they were laughable and others that were just so darn cursed they were just complete abominations, like things that will haunt you in your dreams <laughs> type thing. And it's not like, you know, I was, you know, searching for anything, you know, scary or anything. It's just like, you know, you search for a person and then you'll get like this, you know, cursed image with like two hands and like 40 fingers. And it, it can get quite interesting. Um, but The thing that I mentioned I was trying to work on but so far have had no success is trying to train it to on images of me so I can generate images that either look like me or, you know, say like me in X scenario or whatever or in, you know, doing X, Y, Z, that kind of thing. I thought that would be kind of fun. Um But I haven't had any luck with that. I I keep running into this weird batch error thing that it keeps giving me. I've done some looking online and it seems like it's a fairly common issue that people are having. Um, And it seems like it's a, I guess, maybe a semi newish issue. Um, So that's kind of a bummer. Um, I'll probably keep playing it, playing with it uh, this weekend, Um, try to see if I can't figure it out. Um, because it is something that I really want to try to figure out, uh, because I think it'd be kind of cool, uh, to have AI generated images of myself. It'd be kind of, I thought, I think it'd be kind of cool. Um, so that's the current state of where we are, um, with the Tesla. Um, so got some, finally got some, some GPU horsepower, um, in my lab. Now, I've I thought about potentially getting another Tesla card, another Tesla P4 specifically, and throwing it in, you know, some other like because one thing that that uh, these Tesla cards have is there's there's kind of a little community around them. So there are people that make like I don't have a three D printer, otherwise I'd do it myself, but um, you can buy like these or even make these 3D printed like shrouds that you can put on the back of the Tesla cards and then you can buy, depending on how big the card is, the P4 you can use just like a 40 millimeter fan. And if you buy like one of those 40 millimeter Noctua fans that are like super quiet, you can throw it in like a desktop PC and never have to hear it and it'll be cool. So I was thinking about maybe trying to throw it in some other computer that I have and, you Know virtual like kind of split to do it like a split GPU and you know allocate GPU resources to different VMs and use that as for like video encoding and, and that kind of thing, but haven't got around to that. But, but yeah, it's good to uh to finally have some, some GPU horsepower. Um, in uh in the home lab that's it's it's definitely nice to be able to play around with those that technology. Um, the only thing is it's a uh, it is a uh, little on the noisy side. Um, so it w- I guess one thing that will be nice about it though is uh whenever I do any kind of traveling or or whatnot or anytime I'm just not home can fire up that uh that VM. Well actually I guess it's it's usually up anyway. But uh, fire up stable diffusion, get that fan script going to make sure the GPU stays cool and just start ripping and making all kinds of images and not have to hear anything, which I think would be pretty darn nice. Which also at some point, um, the ideal situation is I'd be able to be at my house and my server rack would be somewhere where I don't have to hear it, and this would never even be an issue in the first place. But that is definitely going to be sometime down the line. Uh, But yeah, before we wrap up, we of course have to get back to our trivia question for the week. So this trivia question is, the Intel 4004 was the first commercially produced microprocessor developed by Intel, and what year was that processor released? So what year was the 4004 microprocessor by Intel released? If you said 1971, congratulations, you got this week's trivia question correct. Um, Kind of Intel's been around. Intel's been around for a while. Um, they uh, they've definitely stepped up their game after that mid 2000s slump they had. Well, I guess it wasn't really a slump. It was just they had no competition, so they didn't feel like innovating. Um, but you know, they're they're back in it now, button heads with AMD. Uh, like I mentioned, they're high-end chips, draw a lot of power, more than my R620 uh, with the GPU at full load <laughs> uh, in some cases, but, you know, those CPUs are also, uh, would probably run circles around my R620, so there, there's that as well. Um, so if you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you leave it a rating and review and subscribe to the Dark Assassins podcast if you haven't done so already. Also be sure to share with a friend or family member who think you think would enjoy uh, this episode. And if you have any questions about this episode or have any comments or questions for future episodes, you can shoot me an email at contact at darkassassinsinc.com there is a link for that down in the show notes below and that's going to do it for me in this episode of the dark assassins podcast until next time my fellow assassins remember bull nothing equals true if action not equal to null return true i'll see you next time on the dark assassins podcast